Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome in for worship. We are so grateful to have you with us this morning. If it's your first time here, or maybe your first time back in a long time, a special welcome to you. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Bethany. I'm the worship director here, and it is our privilege to spend this time in worship with you. We are expectant of the Lord to do mighty things in our midst this morning. If you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, I want to remind you, as always, we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service. They love to answer your questions. They'd love to pray with you. So we really encourage you to make a profile so we know you're here. We want you to feel connected to this community and cared for um, no matter where you are today, no matter what's going on. We want you to be connected to what the Lord is doing in this place. So participate in the chat throughout the service. I'd love to invite you now to stand, if you are able, in body or in spirit, for our call to worship, which today comes from Psalm 113. And the psalmist writes this. He says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Let's lift our voices, bringing him praise this morning. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope. Like wildfire in our very souls, Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. We sing your kingdom birth.
You know, my wife and I had some uh, distressing news this week, and it made us so glad that we built our house on the rock and not on sinking sand. It is so important to have that cornerstone of Jesus Christ in your life. I can't stress that enough. In Ephesians, we read in chapter 2, verses 17 to 22, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's sing this next song.
the cornerstone. You are the firm foundation upon which everything good is built, upon which your kingdom is being built, upon which our lives are being built. We thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are steady, that you are constant. In a world that is absolutely chaotic, at times in a culture that tries with everything it has to distract us from you with our own lives and relationships that are often fraught with anxiety and difficulty we thank you as Michael said that we get to build our lives on the firm foundation we can have our feet firmly planted knowing that you are every bit as good and faithful, and strong, and able, and gracious, and merciful, and perfect, as you tell us that you are. And so I lift up each heart in this room, each story that you are writing. Some of us are in really, really good chapters of the story, and some of us are just desperately waiting for the page to turn to something new, because we struggling in this season, what we're walking through. For some of us, as the song said, darkness seems to be hiding your face from us right now. Holy Spirit, some of us are just desperate to see you, to sense you. And so for those in this room who feel alone, who feel cut off from you, who are doubting, who are questioning, who are lost, who are grieving, Holy Spirit, will you just bring comfort? Will you heighten our awareness that you are here? Thank you that we don't have to beg you to come, but you are here. You are present. You are at work in our lives. Will you make us more aware of you? Will you bring us comfort where we need it? Will you fill us with courage and peace? And will you prepare us this morning? We need you. We need you for the next breath we take, for the next beat of our hearts, and we rely on you fully to open our eyes so that we can see things clearly, 
open our ears so that we can hear your voice, open our hearts and our minds that we might be receptive to you this morning. No one is here by mistake. You knew before time began exactly who would be in this place today, and you have something for us. Just help us not to miss it. We love you. All of this is for you. It's for your glory and yours alone. We pray in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Springbrook. My name is Max, and I have a few announcements for you today. But first, I'd like you to introduce yourselves. If you're joining us online, welcome. I hope you are nice and comfortable. Um, please click on the top left corner of the screen, and there is an online connection card that you can fill out. Please type in all of your information, and it will allow us to keep in touch with you and keep you informed about all of the wonderful things going on at the church this year. If you're joining us in person, welcome. You will find the same connection card in a paper form in each one of the rows. If you could please fill that out and then turn it into the ushers at the end of the service, it would allow us to keep you updated on all of the wonderful events taking place here at our church. Speaking of wonderful events, the Thrive kickoff is 6.30 tonight. So students and parents of students grades 7 through 12 are invited. There will be all sorts of wonderful things happening there, including competitions, games, free food, prizes, and more. Please join us. It's a lot of fun. On a more academic note, we also are starting the fall sermon alignment series in a few weeks. So this is the time to sign up. Our church, together with all of the small groups in our church, will be going through the book of Colossians together as a church. If you are not yet in a small group, don't worry. You can go to springbrook.org slash sign up to enroll. We strongly encourage you to get in community with other believers. And now let's hear a few words from Pastor Rich. Thank you. Good job, Max. Thanks. <laughs> Feedback kind of throws you off, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, we are so glad that you are uh, with us today. Uh, we are, uh, believe it or not, moving towards the end of September. I can't believe that uh, in just a couple of weeks we're going to be in fourth quarter of this year. <laughs> I am knee-deep into 2023, and so we are so excited about uh, uh, the great things God's doing as we move towards the new year, and uh, we're so glad that you are with us this morning. Hey, last week, um, Pre uh, Tellerundo uh, announced that she was going to be stepping out of our uh, stepping out of our children's ministry. And so we have an opening in children's ministry for an administrative assistant. And so if you or anybody you know is interested in serving in children's ministry, it's a 15-hour-a-week position. It's part-time. Uh, I just encourage you to please let us know. Uh, Pre is going to be with us towards the end of September. We're hope, hoping to be able to do some uh, cross-training in, uh, in that time. But uh, if you are interested, uh, please uh, visit our website, springbrook.org. Uh, uh, you can go to springbrook.org slash jobs, and you can pull down that job description. It's also on our app. Uh, but would love to talk with you if you're interested in that. And then I know uh, many of you have signed up for our Bible reading plan. Uh, we've got uh, almost 75 people that were invited, and it's been so encouraging to see how people have been uh, 
reading through uh, the Bible plan this past week. And so if it's not too late to jump in, we're going to be talking about this in just a little bit um, as well. Um, but uh, it's been really encouraging to see the comments that our people are making as they, uh, as they read through the plan together. So jump in and sign up for that if you want to jump in at springbrook.org slash Bible planner. That's also on your app. Well, we started, uh, you know, the year we've looked through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, we looked at uh, the life of Abraham in Genesis recently. Um, we're getting ready to kick off a series through the book of Colossians for our small groups. And so it's been encouraging just to be able to work through uh, different books and passages in Scripture. And so, but for these three weeks, for the next two weeks, um, I wanted to stop and, and just be able to ask the questions conversationally about, you know, why is church important? You know, why are the things that we are doing important? And so we asked everybody to think about, you know, why is church important to you? And last week we looked at the importance of the church. You know, church is important because it's important to Jesus. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is building up the church. The church is important because it is important to Jesus. So today we want to just talk a little bit about, you know, why we do what we do and why it is so important important. You know, last week, we looked at the importance of the church. We talked about the fact that we are a part of a, uh, just a global church. We're a part of a universal church because of who we are in Christ. If you're a Christ follower, you're, you're called to be different than the world. You're part of the universal church. But we also talked about the importance of the local body of Christ. There's something that is critically vital about the importance of the local church. As we read through the New Testament, we see the local church growing and multiplying and thriving. Yes, we're a part of a larger universal church, but there's something critically important about who we are together. There's something important about us being here together today. The local church is an important part of God's plan for reaching our world for Christ. It's important. It's important to him. It's important um, to us. Local congregations are the gathering of believers. There's elders and overseers that guide and lead the church. We have members of the church that are using their spiritual gifts to, to serve and to build up the local body of Christ. And so we're all working together to make passionate disciples who will reach their community and their world for Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you have a biblical view, a biblical vision for what church is? I mean, if I were to ask you what church is all about, I know everybody's going to have an, an opinion. We run into opinions all the time. And so when we ask people about, you know, what they're looking for in a church, there's a lot of different opinions about what church is and what they're supposed to be doing. But I want to ask you, do you have a biblical vision for what church is about and what they're supposed to be doing? And there's a big difference between having an opinion and having a biblical vision for what church is about. In Proverbs 29 and 18, it says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And so prophetic vision is different than having a, an opinion. It's different than having a personal opinion or personal vision. Prophetic vision is the revelation of God to the biblical authors. And when we read through Scripture, we're reading God's vision for the church. Prophetic vision is the revelation of God as revealed to the biblical authors. And when there is a vision that does not come under that authority, when we have a vision that is not rooted in Scripture, it is then that we act like savages. You know, when we have a vision that does not come from God, it's people cast off restraint. There's chaos, and, and we see a lot of chaos, don't we? We see a lot of chaos in the world. We see a lot of chaos in the church. Chaos comes about when we cast off restraint because there's a lack of a prophetic 
vision. And so we need to understand what the Bible teaches us about what church is and what its importance is and why we need to be a part of it. Well, there is no prophetic vision. People have cast off restraint, but this is the great part. Blessed is he who keeps the law. The blessing comes from our being rooted in Scripture. The blessing comes from understanding what God's plan is for us individually and collectively as the body of Christ. And what is that vision that is revealed to us through the prophets? The specific specific passages that talk about what this prophetic vision is. What is this prophetic vision that has been revealed to us through prophets? Paul writes about in in Colossians chapter 1. He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that was hidden for the ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints in Christ Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of that prophetic vision. In Romans 16, 25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the good news about Christ, according to the gospel, to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. And so revelation is not some new idea. We get ourselves in trouble when we have new revelation, or God spoke to me and told me this. When we have new revelation that's not rooted in Scripture, it's there that we run into trouble. And so we have to understand what prophetic vision is, and we have to apply that to what we know about the church and what we're supposed to be doing. It, it, revelation is revealed to us in Christ. In Ephesians 3, 8, 9, this grace that was given to me, this grace that has saved us, the grace that Paul's experienced was given to him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that has been hidden for all the ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Prophetic vision is what's important if we're going to understand what the church is and what it's supposed to be doing. It doesn't really matter about opinions or personal preferences. There is a prophetic vision that God has given us as to what it means to be a part of the local body of Christ. What is the church And what are we supposed to be doing? And what is your biblical vision for what we should be doing? We should be working together to understand what God has for us as we fulfill his plan for our lives. You know, we have a vision at Springbrook to reach our community for Christ. We want other people to know and to come to understand how to have a relationship with Christ. We want to reach our community for Christ. And we want to build passionate followers that are growing in their faith so that they can in turn reach others. Our vision is building passionate followers followers of Christ that will reach our community for Jesus. That is prophetic vision. That's not just a tagline. We live it. All of our ministry falls underneath it. Our staff, our elders, we are all working together to accomplish what God has for us. Biblical prophetic vision is important. As you read through scripture and you try to figure out, well, what is the church supposed to be doing? What is the church? I can't think of a better passage than the one I find in Matthew chapter 28. If you brought your Bible with you, uh, turn with me for a moment to Matthew chapter 28. That is the last book in the book of Matthew. And uh, as you're reading through uh, Matthew, we get to chapter 28. In the book of Matthew, as you start chapter 28, Matthew moves almost immediately from the resurrection of Jesus <laughs> right to his last words with the disciples. And so Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried 
He came to life on the third day. He was resurrected. And Matthew moves from that resurrection almost immediately to his last words to the disciples. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus spoke to the crowds. He spoke to over 500 people. In John chapter 20, Jesus appears to the disciples while they're eating dinner. He passes through the door. A week later, he would appear to, to Thomas. He performed many signs and wonders after his resurrection before he would actually ascend to heaven. But one of the things that Matthew does is he moves from the resurrection. He moves quickly to those last words of Jesus. And right before he does it, he gives us this, this testimony of the, uh, of the guards who were guarding the, uh, the tomb. In Matthew 28, verse 11, it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, and they told the chief priest all that had taken place. They told the chief priest about the fact that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was buried, hey, the body's not there. And so they're, they're relaying to the chief priests everything that had happened. In verse 12, when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of the money to the soldiers and said, hey, look, tell the people, tell them the disciples came by night and, and they stole him away while we were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money as they were directed. And this is the story that is spread among the Jews to this day. When we're reading about the life of Jesus, and you're, and you're talking about the reality of what we find in Scripture, everything hinges on the reality of the resurrection. If Jesus was not risen from the grave, then everything that we're doing is a waste of time. In fact, Paul says not only is it a waste of time, but we're misleading people because we're not telling them the truth. Everything hinges on the reality of the resurrection of Christ. He is the prophetic vision that was in the past not known, but is now known. And we as Gentiles, as non-Jews, get to be a part of that because of Paul's ministry. All those first questions were Jews. And now because of Paul's ministry and because the word got taken to the Gentiles and the non-Jews, we get to be a part of that. Everything revolves around the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophetic vision. And everything that we do in ministry revolves around that reality and that vision. That's prophetic vision. As you move into verse 16, the disciples were, went to Galilee as they were commanded to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshiped him, but some still doubted. Even in the midst of this, there was some there that was still doubted, primarily Thomas. And we know that Thomas would later, in the book of John, would, would not believe until he got to touch the wounds. And so, but there were some still doubted. But at that moment, one of the last words that Jesus would say to them were in verse 18. He said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. And so in that passage, Jesus gives us the Great Commission. And that Great Commission, that passage is one of the foundations for one of the purposes of the church. And when we talk about our picture of a disciple at Springbrook, those passages really undermine or undergird what we come to understand is what a disciple is. And in that passage, we see that there's, there's three verbs in there. There's three verbs in this passage, go, baptize, and teach. So we have three verbs, and then we have a command, and then we have a promise. And I want to break each one of these down, because this is an important part of how we understand what Scripture is directing us to do. When we talk about a vision for the church, when we talk about helping people to have a biblical view of why what we're doing is important and why the things that we are doing is important, this is at the root of where we make those decisions. 
This is prophetic vision from Scripture. Jesus has told us we are to be making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. And so it's the foundation for our ministry at Springbrook. It's the foundation for our vision. I'm going to break each one of these up. We're going to look at those uh, in detail. The first one was go and make disciples of all nations. Go is the verb, and make disciples of all nations is the command. And so who is Jesus talking to in this passage? He's talking to the disciples that have gathered around Jesus to hear these last words. He told the disciples to go make more disciples. And so disciples, making disciples, is a ministry value that we have at Springbrook. And so if somebody has a relationship with Christ, we want to help them to grow in their faith so that they can, in turn, help others to grow in their faith. It's the, it's the, it's the beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And so we've been entrusted with this great news about Christ. He's changed our life, and it's, it's something that we share with other people. It's not something that we keep to ourselves. Jesus says to the disciples, go make more disciples. Go make more disciples. And there's different types of verbs. You know, we're going to look at go, and we're going to look at baptize, and we're going to look at teach. But the verb for the word go here, when it's combined with that command, is different than the other verbs of baptizing and teaching, which are byproducts of this command. In other words, it looks like this. Go make disciples. How do you make disciples? By baptizing them and teaching them. The essence of this command is not while you're going, make disciples. If you have time, make disciples. It's not think about opportunities for making disciples. The command is go, go do it. That's what we're commanded to do. Disciples making disciples is something that we're commanded to do. And we do that by baptizing and teaching others. That's the means by which disciples are made. Go make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. Not while you're going. Now, some of you might be called to go, and it might be a, a vocational change. You know, I was an executive with a healthcare company before God called me into vocational ministry, and so for me, it was a vocational change. And some of you might be called to a vocational change. God raises up normal, ordinary people to accomplish his plans for the church in reaching our communities and our world for Christ. All the disciples were normal people just like you and me. They were fishermen, they were tax collectors, and Jesus said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Some people, God calls into vocational ministry. And so when we say that while you're going make disciples, it diminishes the impact of the calling. Because it's not while you're going. We are called to make disciples. And it does look different for different people based on our gifting, based on God's calling, and based on our circumstances in life. There is a general sense where we're all called to be witnesses, right? And so Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so there is a sense that every one of us that is a believer has a responsibility for sharing with other people the hope that we have in Christ. And so it's just me telling somebody, hey, I made, a, I made a faith commitment when I was 10. I made a faith commitment when I was 33. My parents made faith commitments when they were 65. My kids made faith commitments when they were 6. They got baptized when they were 8. So every one of us has a faith story. And so when we share our faith story with other people, we are being a witness. 
that's different than the having the gift of evangelism or vocationally leaving what you're doing to go make disciples. And some of you might be called to do that. You know, 25 years ago, I was sitting in a congregation. I was sitting in a chair just like you, and God stirred something in my heart to be a part of what he wants to do in the world. And if God's stirring that in your heart, we would love to be a part of that. In fact, we have a gentleman named Brett Filer. Brett Filer is in a vocation right now. He's driving a truck, and Brett's going through training. He's uh, training up through our Timothy Initiative, which is the same material that we use to train our pastors around the globe. And so he's almost finished with that, ma- uh, that material. And so he's being trained and, and praying about what God would have for him from a ministry perspective. And so if you're interested in being a part of what God might have for you, we would love the opportunity to talk with you. Some are called to actually go, but we're all called to, to share our faith. In uh, 1 Peter uh, 3.15, in your hearts were to honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have within you. You do it with gentleness and respect. I think a lot of times, you know, we, we will avoid conversations with people because <laughs> we don't have to talk to them. <laughs> if God places somebody in your path and they notice something different about you, that's an opportunity for you to point them to the work that Christ has done in your life. That's an opportunity for you to share your story. You know, we're all called to be witnesses. We're all called to make a defense. But there's something different about the command to go. You know, in uh, Matthew in chapter 2, verse 8, King Herod he had uh, summoned uh, the wise men to him, and he told them this about the birth of Jesus. He said, send them to Bethlehem, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, that was a lie. You know, he was looking to uh, kill, to destroy Jesus, uh, because it was a challenge to his leadership, and so he lied to the wise men, but the point is this. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently. <laughs> He didn't mean, hey, while you're going, if you have some time, look for this child. He meant stop what you're doing and go find this child. That's an imperative command. Go find that child. And when you find him, you come right back here and you tell me so I can go worship him. The intensity of that go means there's, it, it, there's diligence about it. When Jesus says go make disciples, he means don't do that in your spare time. It means go do it. It's important, and you do that by baptizing and teaching others. Go make disciples. Go make disciples and what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we are to make disciples of all nations. We're to go into every parts of the earth. That's why our partnership with the Timothy Initiative, such as a strategic partnership for us, because we get to be a part of what God's doing in the world. In fact, I got a picture from uh, David Nelms this morning. I didn't have time to put it up. He sent me a picture And uh, he said, 57 people got baptized in this church site this morning because of your support for our ministry. Thank you for that. And so 57 people in in a rural part of of Nepal where they're facing persecution, 57 people gave their lives to Christ. And there are parts of the world that have not yet heard about Jesus. We take that for granted. I have yet to run into anybody in my circles that has not at least heard the name of Jesus. There are parts of the world large parts of the world that have never had an opportunity to hear the word about Jesus. We're to go into all the world and to all nations to tell them the good news. And we get to be a part of that. We're doing that in our Judea as we think about how do we reach our community for Christ. We're doing that in our region through our partnership with Converge Mid-America as we plant churches in our community, in our state, in our nation. And we're a part of what God's doing 
globally throughout the world, reaching people for Christ. We are to make disciples of all nations. And then we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there is an order to this process. Who do you baptize? You baptize people. Part of that discipleship process is you're telling them about who Jesus is. And then they're coming to understand their need for a relationship with Christ. And they're becoming Christ followers. And then their first act of obedience is to get baptized. And so that is a discipleship step. It's not about praying the prayer. Now, we celebrate when somebody makes a faith commitment. In fact, Scripture says that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. Every time somebody makes a faith commitment, I get excited We get excited at Springbrook, and all the angels of heaven get excited when a person crosses that line of faith. It is exciting when somebody makes a faith commitment. But the first step of obedience, the first sign of obedience, that what you have come to believe in your heart and your mind is true, is that you get baptized. Go make disciples of all nations and baptize them. There's an order to that process. We We don't just baptize anybody you know, just based on their interests. You know, you don't put a wedding ring on an infant and try to say, well, you're married, but you're not really married. I'll explain it to you later. And you certainly don't throw your car keys to your toddler, to your young child and say, hey, you'll figure this car thing out later. You know, there's things that we do. There's an order to training and equipping people in the faith. And from a biblical perspective, our vision for making disciples in Springbrook and our vision for what church is and what we're supposed to be doing is we're helping people to understand their need for a relationship with Christ and we're encouraging them to take the step of baptism. There's an order to this. And it's a normal order. You know, baptism is just something that they did in the New Testament. And we have made such a mess of it in our culture. I mean, if you talk to people about baptism, unfortunately, there's been things that have been said or done. People come to Springbrook from different churches' experiences. I pray that nobody has ever left this church and been confused about what baptism is. Now, people might have left because they don't agree with what we find in Scripture, but I hope that at least we were clear about helping them to understand what baptism is. Baptism does not get you into heaven. It's not a, it's not a step of salvation. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ alone, not by works so that no one can boast. There's nothing that you can do to be right before God except understand your need by faith for a relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Christ is what saves us. Baptism is a step. It's a symbol of what we've come to understand in our hearts and our minds. And we're commanded in the process of making disciples to help people cross that line of faith and then to baptize them. It's the first step of obedience. Sharing the good news with Jesus, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to draw them into a relationship with themselves. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. This church can't save anybody. There's no church that can save anybody. All we have is an opportunity to prophetically share the vision that God's given us about the fact that through a relationship with Christ, we're made right before him, and we have the assurance of heaven. That is the good news. We share that good news with others, and then they have to respond based on how the Holy Spirit leads John 6, 44, you know, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. The Spirit of God is what has to draw somebody into a relationship with Christ. All I can do is explain the good news to them. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. We have the responsibility for sharing Christ with others. Then we have to trust God with with that work, that he's working in their lives, that he would draw them into that line of faith, and he would help them to be obedient. It's an act of the Holy Spirit in a person's life that enables them to take steps on their spiritual journey. 
We're on a journey together and we're relying on the Holy Spirit to help us to take steps. Baptism is a normal expectation for what happens when somebody makes a faith commitment. It is not an optional thing. It's not something that you say, well, I did this, but I'm not going to do that. Baptism is the normal step for what happens when somebody makes a faith commitment. In Romans chapter 6, Paul's talking about people that have made faith commitments. They're Christ followers. Now they think they can do whatever they want because their sins have been forgiven. He said, by no means. You can't do that. Are we to continue in sin and say that grace may abound? Are we able to, to, to say our relationship with Christ has saved us so I can do whatever I want? No, we're not. In fact, the opposite is true. Because of what Christ has done in our life, we should not want to do those things. What should we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Rhetorical question. You can't. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul, the biblical author, is writing to these believers with the assumption that everybody that had made a faith commitment has been baptized. You have been baptized into Christ Jesus. You were baptized into his death. Symbolically, you went under the water. You came up out of the water. Symbolically, baptized in Christ as you were in his death. There was an expectation in the New Testament that people made faith commitments and got baptized. Every time he's reading through scripture, faith commitment, baptism, faith commitment, baptism. It just happened. When Peter stood up to tell the 3,000 about the good news about Christ, 3,000 people placed their faith in Christ and they were baptized the following year. They were baptized in six months. 3,000 people made a faith commitment and they got baptized that day. Now, I don't know who talked to them, who talked to them about their story. I can imagine, imagine 3,000 people. You know, we spend some time when people get baptized. We want to make sure that they understand what they're doing. And there's, there's so much confusion out there, seriously, that uh, we have to spend, you know, I would say, I would venture to say 90% of my time when I'm talking to somebody about baptism has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches. 90% of my conversation with people about baptism has to do with unpacking all the junk that they heard before my conversation. Well, I don't know why they did this. I'm not sure why they did this. I'm constantly having to point people to what Scripture is. We don't get baptized today, not because of a scriptural reason, but because of the impact it might have with my friends or my family. You know, I might have to explain that. I heard something different. I haven't reconciled that in my mind. Our conversations are all geared around helping people understand what Bible says about baptism. It's a prophetic vision issue. When somebody says, well, Pastor Ridge says I have to get baptized, that's not what Pastor Ridge says. Pastor Matt says I had to get baptized. That's not what Pastor Matt says. Scripture tells us that people make faith commitments and they got baptized. All we're doing is sharing with others what we find in Scripture. That's prophetic vision. We have a vision for helping people to understand a relationship with Christ and get baptized. It's prophetic because it comes from Scripture. The biblical authors have told us about what to do and how to do it. Baptism is something that is an expectation. And we in our culture have made it something that is optional, and it's not. It's the first step, the first mark of obedience. And every single baptism in the New Testament involved people going down into the water and coming up out of the water. You know, Peter appeared to the eunuch had to, trying to explain the scriptures to him and, and he comes to understand his need for a relationship with Christ. And after he comes to understand his relationship with Christ, after he understands that, after he makes a faith commitment, you know what he does next? He doesn't sign up for the baptism class. He doesn't say, hey, I'll see you next week. Maybe we can get together. He stands up, he stops, and he shouts 
He commanded the chariot to stop right then. Made a faith commitment, stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Right then and there. Faith commitment, baptism. Faith commitment, baptism. All throughout the New Testament. Why would we want to do it any other way? Why would we want to do it any other way? Every single example that we find in Scripture is faith commitment and baptism. Faith commitment and baptism. That is prophetic vision. That's not what Springbrook believes. That's not what Pastor Rich believes. That's what the Bible teaches us about what baptism is. And this is a biblical church and we follow Scripture. And so we're just trying to help people to experience more of the new life that Jesus promises us in John 10.10. We want people to experience spiritual growth. And part of that is getting baptized, going into the water. We do baptism through immersion here at Springbrook. And I spend a lot of time trying to explain why other people don't do that. I don't know why they don't do that. (laughs) It is so so refreshing for me to be able to say, well, this is what it says here. This is what it says here. (laughs) This is the issue. (laughs) Seriously, this is the issue. This is prophetic vision. And when you cast it off, when you don't look at it, people cast off restraint. If you want to be blessed, then it comes from listening to prophetic vision. And so we baptize people through immersion. Jesus modeled it for us. He went down into the Jordan with John and got baptized in the Jordan. He didn't sprinkle him, didn't throw some water on him. He went down into the river. He went under the water. He came up out of the water. The Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descended on a dove. We have all three persons of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit present at Jesus' baptism. We are to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what that passage was talking about. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's, there's something in mind that the Bible teaches us about what baptism is. We are to make disciples. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're to teach them to observe all that has been commanded. <laughs> That's a tall order. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of stuff in that one, isn't there? What does it mean to teach somebody to observe all that I have commanded you? 2 Timothy 3.16, all of Scripture. Is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, reproof, for correction, and for training up in righteousness so that we may be approved, so our work might be approved before God. All scripture is God breathed. What are we teaching people? We're teaching people to obey all that has been commanded. The Bible is important, Bible study is important. We look at different passages of the Old Testament, the New Testament, all of scripture, all of scripture is profitable for teaching and for training up in righteousness so that we can be approved. And so we're teaching everybody all of Scripture. We're to baptize them, and we're to teach them, and we teach them all of Scripture. In uh, Matthew chapter 19, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, and asks him, a good teacher, which of these commands is the most important? You know, which one of these deeds are most important? <laughs> Jesus says, first of all, why are you asking me about what is good? <laughs> There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commands. And so we're not just to read them and to study them. We're to, to keep them. And so when we talk about observing all that has been commanded, the teaching part of that is about Scripture. The observation part, to observe something, is to guard it. It's to keep it. It's to preserve in it. It's to do something with it. 
It's not just to be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of the word. It's like, I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to go do something for it. And so when we read scripture, we're always looking for what did the original author mean when he wrote this? So we're looking through scripture, and it's like, there's some really good stuff in here. I tell you, it is so hard. I've been praying, and you can pray for me as we move into 2023. There is so much good stuff in here. How on earth do you pick what you're going to teach for a year? (laughs) I mean, seriously. 66 books just chock full of, I think there's like 33,000 verses. I mean, it's just chock full. And so we have to discern what does God have for our congregation this year? Everything that we were doing was falling in line with helping us to encounter more of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. That was our theme for this year. Everything that we've been doing has been designed to help people encounter more of the Holy Spirit in their life. I'm praying that as we go through this series, that you're going to encounter more of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, we want to appeal to Scripture. We want our minds and our hearts to be united, but we want our feet to move. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can accomplish that. Everything that we've done this year is about, about encountering more of the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. As we move into Colossians, we're going to be talking about the supremacy of Christ in our life, and, and that should move us into obedience, and the, and the Holy Spirit should move in, in through us. And so as we move into next year, we're praying what, what God would have for our church, and so you could be praying for us in that. But more importantly than just hearing a good sermon or saying that was really good, we should all be asking ourselves, in light of what I just heard, what should I be doing? How do I observe How do I observe? How do I keep? How do I guard? How do I put into practice these things that I've learned? Jesus says to him, if you want to enter eternal life, if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. If you want to do things on your own and ignore prophetic vision, you want to cast off constraint, go for it. God in his infinite wisdom has given us all the ability to make that choice. If you want to choose, then cast off restraint. But if you want blessing... It comes from being rooted in prophetic vision. It comes from being rooted in who we are in Christ. It comes from being rooted in in God's word. You know, we are called to make disciples, to baptize them and to teach them until Christ returns. Go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Isn't that great? That he is with us to the very end of the age. I am with you with you. Jesus said to his disciples, don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to a place to prepare. If I was not going there, I would tell you, but I'm going to go and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's going to guide and direct you. In John 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father is going to send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Spirit of Jesus is with us. The great mystery is that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. The Holy Spirit is also equally God. So we have Jesus with us in a sense that we have his Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit with us that the Father has sent in his name to continue to teach us and to guide us and to draw us into a relationship with himself and to continue to grow. No one comes to Christ unless the Holy Spirit draws them. That's a faith commitment. And then after you make a faith commitment, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. It it transforms your life. We're constantly ever being shaped and molded into the image of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life until the day that Jesus Christ returns or till the day that he calls us home. And so we don't know which one of those is. Some mornings I wake up and I think, oh man, come now, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to be done with this. 
And sometimes I think, well, I'm not really ready for this because there's a couple of people I really want to talk to next week before you come back. Because the implications of Jesus coming back for those that don't have a relationship with Christ is not good. And so a part of me wants to go to be with Christ. Paul says it would be better for me to be with you, but you've got some work for me to do. So God's got some work for us to do while we're here. That work is reflected in our using our spiritual gifts and building up the body of Christ to accomplish what he has for us as we seek to reach our community for Christ and make disciples. You know, Jesus is with us until he returns. We have the Holy Spirit working in and through us to accomplish everything that God has for us together. Isn't that great? And so our goal is to, to step back and to study God's word, to encourage one another in the faith, to learn from those that have gone before us, to remain steadfast in our faith as we wait for his return until we stand before him. We have the Holy Spirit guiding and directing our path. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is your vision for what the church should be doing? I hear many times, well, you should be doing this. We should do this. We should do this. I was like, well, okay, let's, let's start here. And so what does a vision for a church look like? And so if you're at Springbrook, and you have a vision that's different than reaching our community for Christ and making disciples, then we should probably talk about whether this church is really, you know, what church you want to be at. But for those that are taking seriously, wanting to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, for those that are taking seriously the desire to grow in their faith, and those that want to be a part of what God has for them, as we think about reaching our community or world for Christ, this is the place to be. You know, we want prophetic vision to guide and direct our path. We want the Holy Spirit to be filling us and guiding us and, and giving us clarity about what he wants to accomplish. That is prophetic vision. That's what we're called to be together until that day that we stand before him. And we have to have a vision for what heaven looks like. And so we have to have a vision for what the church is. We have to have a vision for why it's important. We have to have a vision for what we're supposed to be doing. But all of that is in light of the vision for where we're going to spend eternity. Because all that we're doing right now is just a precursor to what we're going to experience for all eternity. And as you read through Revelation, I encourage you if, you, uh, if you are interested, you can go to our website, our past sermon series. Um, we can go to springbrook.org slash revelation. We did a series uh, last year on the book of Revelation. Uh, it was really a lot of fun for our teaching team to be able to do that. So you, can, you want to know a little bit more about what the end times looks like, uh, you can uh, find that on our website. But in Revelation 22... We get a little glimpse of what heaven's like. No longer will there be anything accursed. There's not going to be any more weeping, no more gnashing of teeth. There's not going to be anything accursed. The throne of God will be there, and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And by night, there will be no more night. There will be no more need for a light. There will be no more need for a lamp. There will be no more need for the sun, because the glory of the Lord the Lord will be their light, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. We have the assurance that through our relationship with Christ, we're going to spend eternity with him. That is a prophetic vision. That is a promise. That's what scripture teaches us. It's not just some, you know, some, <laughs> some idea that somebody came up with. The tomb was empty. The body was gone. The things that Jesus said are true. And we have a glimpse of what it is to come. And that is our vision for the future. We have a vision for what God has for us while we're here. And we have a vision for where we're headed. We get this glimpse of heaven. And I, I pray that that is motivation for you as you think about what it means to live a life that is good and pleasing to the Lord. 
We have a vision for our church. We have a vision for what we're supposed to be doing, and we have a vision for where we're going. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, as you think about this prophetic vision, or you think about what God has for the church, there are some of you here this morning that have never placed your faith in Christ, or maybe you're not clear about what that looks like. And so if somebody asks you, do you have a relationship with Christ, and you say, I think so, that is not a good answer. If you can't say with a resounding yes, I want to encourage you today to say, hey, let the Holy Spirit guide me. I'm going to take this step of faith. I'm not quite sure what it looks like, but I believe Jesus is God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins, and I'm placing my faith in him and in his word. And as best as I know how, I want to ask you to come into my life and change me, make me new. And if you've never had an opportunity to make a faith commitment, today is the day. It's a great step for you to do today. Because we don't want you to walk out of here not being clear about how to have a relationship with Christ or understanding the implications of it. That vision of heaven, that vision of things to come, that great vision is for those that have a relationship with Christ. For those that don't have a relationship with Christ, they have the same promise for an eternity separated from God. And so we want people to understand how to have a, how a relationship with Christ. And so if you want to make a faith commitment today, we will love the opportunity to talk with you about that. In fact, after the service, if you just want to make your way up to the front, we'll pray with you today. And today can be the day that you say, I want to cross that line of faith. And so if you haven't made a faith commitment, that's a great next step. If you've never been baptized, you know, that thing sits, <laughs> that baptism sits over here. I, we keep talking about whether we want it on the stage or off the stage. And I, I say, well, leave it on the stage because I'm praying. I'm praying for somebody that's going to get baptized. <laughs> Because we take it down, and we have to put it away, and then somebody comes out and says, just, just leave it there. If you said to me, I want to get baptized right now, when we got done, I would go hook that hose up over there. I would fill that thing up, and we would baptize you right now. That's what they did in the New Testament. You're going to make a faith commitment and get baptized today. We'll figure out how to do it. We'll do it at the second service. We'll figure it out. Or if you want to, yeah, questions, you want to come back next week, <laughs> we'll baptize you next week. You know, but take a step. It starts by understanding your need for a relationship with Christ by identifying him through baptism. If you want to know more about how to get connected and how to be a part of the local church and what does it mean to be a member of a congregation. Maybe you just have questions about Springbrook. We have a starting point workshop coming up on October 5th and you can sign up for that on our website or on our app, springbrook.org connect. It's a great opportunity for you to hear a little bit about our ministry, to get to know a little bit about us. It's a good opportunity for us to get to know you a little bit, but we want to help you to get connected and experience growth. That's why we exist. We want to reach our community for Christ. We want to make passionate disciples. And if you want to be a part of that, we'd love to invite you to join us for that starting point workshop. And if you're not in a small group, small groups are one of the best ways for us to study scripture together, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, and to grow up in the faith. And so we have our small group open enrollment. Uh, it's kicking off last week. And so for the next two weeks, um, is open enrollment. We've got groups. You can pick any group. There's all kinds of groups on our website. I think we've got like 20, 25 groups. Uh, you can go to our website, uh, springbrook.org slash groups. I mean, that link is everywhere. In fact, let's just do it this way. <laughs> if you want to get into a small group, go to springbrook.org slash sign up. And uh, Pastor Matt and uh, some of our small group leaders are going to be available after the service out in the lobby. Pastor Matt's got on a, uh, a pink, uh, red, red uh, he's got on a sweater. <laughs> Like, I had to go change. It is hot and humid. I, I don't know how he's pulling off that sweater. Uh, but Pastor Matt will be out here. He's got a pink sweater on. He'd love the opportunity to help you uh, get connected to a small group. We've got our small group leaders out there. Small groups are a great way for you to be connected and to grow in your faith. And like I said, if you, if you haven't signed up for our uh, uh, reading plan, we're going to be doing this for another uh, two weeks. It's only a 14-day uh, journey. 
uh, that we're on together. I'd encourage you to sign up for that. And you can follow Springbrook uh, on the Uversion Bible app as well. We want to encourage you to, uh, to keep yourself up to date with the things that we're studying and learning together. It's a great opportunity for us to read through the Bible together and uh, to comment and share what we're learning. And so you can sign up for that um, as well. You can go to springbrook.org slash Uversion. I think the other one is uh, springbrook.org slash Bible plan. One of those. There's links everywhere. But jump in. I want to encourage you to be a part of what God's doing here. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, would you pray with me as our worship team comes back up? Father, we just thank you for this day you've given us today. Uh, thank you that we have an opportunity to be a part of the work that you're doing uh, in our community. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to, uh, to encourage uh, one another uh, as we spur one another on, as we run the race to attain the prize. Um, God, thank you for um, uh, just for this opportunity that we've had to, to be a part of your plan here at Springbrook. And I just pray for my friends this morning, God, that um, regardless of where they are in their journey, that they got a sense of you're working in their life, God, drawing them closer to yourself. For those that have questions about a relationship with Christ, I, I pray today is the day uh, that they would uh, either cross that line of faith or be intentional about getting the answers to their questions. And uh, for those that are watching online this morning, uh, God, I pray that they would, uh, I'm glad that they're here as well, that we'd be able to connect with them uh, uh, in this way as well. We look forward to celebrating life change. We look forward to celebrating baptisms. God, thank you for the great work you're doing in and through us. God, we commit all of these things to you. And uh, for your glory, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's rise together one more time in body or in spirit and respond in worship to this word we've received this morning.
Thank you so much for worshiping here with us this morning. I pray that you will go in faith to love and serve the Lord and have a blessed, blessed week in Him. We'll see you next Sunday.